Christ is risen. We really can't say that enough this morning uh, or throughout the year, to be quite honest. But he is risen. Uh, there we go. Just there seeing go. if you're paying attention. That's all. That's all. All right. You get to help me out with the first part of this sermon today. Um, on Ash Wednesday, we talked about these words. The first Sunday of Lent, we talked about these words. And so I need you to practice with me, okay? So say these words after me. God's steadfast love endures forever. All right, so I'm going to say part of a psalm, and then when I give you that cool point, then you guys respond by saying God's steadfast love endures forever. All right? How's everyone feeling? You ready? Okay. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Let God's people say, let the house of Israel say, let those Let who those fear, the, fear Lord the Lord say. say, 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 say. The, resurrection the resurrection of Christ, of Christ is, is the steadfast love of the Lord, of the Lord enduring, enduring forever. forever, ever, 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 ever. Not, defeated Not defeated by death, by death, 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 death but resurrected. 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 But have you ever sat sat back back, in apparent apparent victory victory, just just a little little too too early, early, thinking that you had had won, won, only to be surprised surprised by a last-minute upset? Has anyone ever experienced that? that? Okay, this is a judgment-free zone, right? I'm not going to judge you. You're not going to judge me. But if you've ever played poker, sometimes this can happen. You could be looking in your hand, and you think you've got the winning hand, and you slap it down on the table, and someone casually flips over a better hand. Or maybe, or maybe even if you played, played blackjack, 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 and you're sitting, you're sitting on a great on a hand, hand, and then the and dealer, dealer comes through and, through and flips over flips 21, and oops, you lose your bet. Or, or, if you're like or my like family, my we family, love to play board, board games. games. And so, and so occasionally, occasionally, very, very rarely, full transparency here, some of us get a little too cocky a little too early. And when the and scores when the score are tallied and the points, and the points are counted, are counted uh, we, uh, we, uh, we don't always, we don't win, always win like we like think we were going to. Or back in 2020 when the Niners were poised to win the Super Bowl and I was still sitting on a couch in Tennessee texting all of my friends saying, ha-ha, we are going to win it all this year, the Chiefs came back with eight minutes left to overcome a double-digit deficit and defeat us. Man, who said that? I thought, like, coming back to the Bay Area, we were cool, you know, Niners fans, no? All right, all right, all right. You see, on Good Friday, the enemy, God's enemy, the evil one, Satan, the devil, whatever other name you want to call him from the pages of Scripture, sat back thinking he had won. He had tempted Judas to betray his Lord. He had convinced the religious leaders to sell this guy out for a few coins, destroying his pursuits of the great Messiah of Israel. The devil sat back thinking he was one, prideful and perceiving his victory over Jesus. When Christ, when Christ breathed his last and said, it's finished, he was like, yep, gotcha. I'm winning this one in your face, God. See, the enemy heard those words of Jesus to be the words of defeat. The enemy heard these words to be a final groan of failure. So he sat back, filled with pride and conceit. 
The enemy heard those words as music to his ears. A song of his great victory. The triumph of his scheming to undermine and destroy God's plan of salvation. That's what he thought. He was convinced he had the winning hand. But God the Father heard those whispered last words of Christ, of his own son, as the lyrics to the victory song of his salvation that God, the Holy Spirit, had been whispering and breathing and declaring into the very fabric of creation and the hearts of humanity from that first rebellion of Adam and Eve. And now that sad song of sin and death, the one that the enemy of God had put all of his hope and all of his trust into from those early days in the Garden of Eden has become the loud victory song of Christ, of salvation in that empty tomb, in this garden, on this Easter morning. In the reading, you heard that the women, as they approached the tomb, had brought spices to anoint a dead body, to somehow take away its decomposing stench. And sometimes, as I like to imagine this Easter morning, I like to think about what were those women talking about? I don't know whether or not they sung songs of lament during the process of continuing to tend to a body that had been buried. But perhaps they were singing a song of grief as they headed toward that tomb because they weren't expecting to find it empty. They were fully expecting to find their Lord that they saw crucified just a couple of days earlier, still laying there under the burial shroud that they had wrapped his body into. But instead, they discover what? That Christ is risen, that he's risen indeed. And instead of singing songs of lament, they leave the tomb with cries of hallelujah, running to tell the disciples who were like, nah, this isn't real. Peter, probably filled with the doubt, the same doubt he always had, instead runs in the opposite direction, back toward that grave to stoop down and discover the melody of God's triumph. That his Lord had been resurrected. So as we begin this Easter season on this Easter Sunday, we're going to spend a handful of weeks looking at Jesus' resurrection as the victory of God over sin, over death, and over the power of the evil one. The Apostle Paul, I like to think, sang these words to the church in Corinth, but you can certainly find them in his letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where he says, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has indeed triumphed over the grave. So let's join with the voices of God's people, ages and ages, generations of generations, celebrating the victory of God in Christ as we explore the impact that the resurrection has on our lives and over the universe. For Christ is risen. On Good Friday, we explored this 
sacrificial death of Christ, looking into the lyrics of Psalm 31. But for this morning, I would ask that you would join me as we look into the victory song of Psalm 118 as we see the triumph of God in the resurrection. For it's Christ's victory on Easter that we are assured of these words that they're not just sung by David and they're not just fulfilled by Christ, but they become our own. They're very real for us here and now. They are our victory as well. For the reign of the resurrected Christ is the victory of God. And so we sing triumphant songs along with all the saints, alongside those women in the garden that morning as they ran away, not out of fear or despair, but out of victory and out of excitement and celebration for the promises that Jesus made to them had come true. And so once again, I wonder, I'd like to think optimistically, quite honestly, But I wonder if they had the words of this psalm on their hearts as they went to tell the disciples. I wonder if they sung the words of this psalm as they were running to share the good news that God was risen and that Christ had gone ahead of them into Galilee on a victory tour of sorts. And so these are the lyrics to a victory song of God. We're going to look at other songs as well, but for this morning, we are going to look at how Christ fulfilled these words of Psalm 118 in his death and through his resurrection for us. But as we explore them, let's not catch ourselves stooping down, expecting to see our Savior still lying underneath those burial cloths. Like the angels warned the women. They warn us as well. We can't look for the living among the dead. And yet how often do we find ourselves doing just that? Questioning the power of God to grant us victory over every glimpse of death that surrounds us. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've been out here for almost two months and looking for a house. All right, And in my mind, I'm like, God, this is ridiculous. You're not providing. Where are your promises now? This isn't becoming real for me. And yet in this moment, on this morning, I have to be reminded, compelled by the Spirit and convicted in faith that you're not in control, Josh. You're called to trust, Josh. How often do we find ourselves stooping to see our Savior still lying under those burial cloths, doubting that steadfast love of God that we just declared with one another? Doubting the fact that he did, in fact, promise to rise again after three days and promises to raise us up with him, that we truly do have his victory. We share in his triumph over death. Once again, how often do we find ourselves choosing to believe the lie of the evil one, that we are still enemies of God, condemned by our sin, trapped under the judgment of the cross, not set free by Christ's defeat on it. We know this isn't true. Amen? We know this isn't true because Christ is risen. All right, caught you sleeping. Caught you sleeping. I mean, do you believe the word of those honored women who fled from the tomb that were witnesses to the resurrection that our teacher has risen from the dead? Do you believe those? Do you believe that Christ himself assured Mary in that garden while she was afraid and said, Mary, it's me, I'm your teacher. Don't be afraid for I am here. 
you believe these words that Christ is risen? Oh, boy. Oh, man. I'm just going to give you a heads up, okay? This is going to keep happening throughout this message, all right? So prepare yourselves, okay? Prepare yourselves. It's precisely because the grave is empty that we can join in this victory song of Psalm 118 this morning. And so I just want to walk through this with you all and help us have eyes to see and hearts to believe that this is Christ for us and this is what we receive because of Christ's resurrection. The psalmist writes, There are glad songs of victory in the tents of the righteous, in the house of the righteous. Are there not glad songs of victory being sung this morning? Have we not already sung about the victory of God today? We do that because it was Jesus' sacrificial blood that makes us righteous. Dipped into the blood of Christ, we now wear white robes of righteousness. And this is the reason we gather, whether in homes, in churches, or shoot, even in tents, to sing the victory song of our God. We're not sad. We cannot lament. We cannot leave this place despairing or depressed because we are like those women We are witnesses to the glorious resurrection of our God from the grave. We can run and tell our friends and our neighbors and our family that the Lord has done valiantly by his right hand, that the right hand of God is exalted, that the right arm of the Lord works wonders. Sorry, lefties. Any lefties in here? Ah, a couple. Sorry, man. The right hand in Scripture is a symbol of power. The right arm is a symbol of victory. And it was the strong right hand of God that reached down into his creation and probably with the flick of a finger rolled the stone that was covering the face of the tomb from the mouth of the grave so that no one would ever have to fear being swallowed by death ever again. Forty days after this resurrection of Jesus, he ascended to the right hand hand of the throne of God where he is promised to rule and to reign with all power and all authority. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead is exalted because those mighty hands of God allowed themselves to be pierced for our transgressions and nailed to the cross in our place. This is why you and I can sing these songs of Psalm 118 and declare, I will not die, but I will live. And while I live, I will recall the great wonders of the Lord. Yes, the Lord has punished me, but he did not give me over to death. This is what Christ did, right? Despite all evidence to the contrary, despite the fact that it looked like he had been given over to death, he has these words of Psalm 118 that have come to fruition in this morning, that he did live, he overcame death, and he came through the grave to give us life. So even when death plays its hand prematurely and says, I got you, we know that that is not the final score Even when death seems to win, it does not because of the grace of God poured out in the death of Christ and now in its resurrection. 
Paul picks up on this sentiment writing to the church in Galatia where he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and so it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives inside of me. And the life that I live in this body now, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me out of his love for me. Therefore, in the words of Psalm 118, We come before God and we say, open to me, O God, the gates of righteousness so that I can enter through them and give thanks to you, my Lord and my God. This is the gate of the Lord and the righteous shall enter through it. Is this not Christ Jesus? Is this not the good shepherd? Really convenient that we're here at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, that we have a cross with a symbol for the Good Shepherd because right before Jesus refers to himself as the Good Shepherd, he calls himself the gate. Bringing the words of this psalm to life in his public ministry confirmed for us in his death and resurrection. He said, I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved. The cross was the key that opened that gate cross is the key that opens the grave. And because Christ came through death, he now opens the gates of righteousness and eternal life for every single one of us who looks to the cross as our hope, as the symbol of God's steadfast love. This is the gate of the Lord, Christ alone, our cornerstone. We give thanks with the psalmist. I thank you that you've answered me and that you've become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and this is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes, is it not? Do we sit here with wonder and say, man, I never could have thought about a plan like this. I definitely could have pulled off something like this. This is the Lord's doing. This is why Peter, in his first sermon on the day of Pentecost, we'll see that in about 40 days' time, he preached this exact verse, pointing the throngs of people, the crowds of those that had gathered, back to the cross, back to this glorious morning, saying that Christ was crucified and that death could not defeat him, but he rose and now he raises us with him, that the one who was there to be the foundation of our lives and our faith and our own promises of hope was rejected, and yet he is our firm foundation. And none of us could have pulled off something like this ever. False prophets and fake messiahs have tried. I mean, even now, look at the world around us. We got sus saviors appealing to our hearts and minds, but thanks be to God that he has done this through a cross and through a grave. It is marvelous. It is wonderful. It is awesome. It is inspiring and hope-filled precisely because we could never have imagined anything like it. And so we sing, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beg you, O Lord. O Lord, we beg you, give us the victory. 
Rejoice and be glad, my friends, because today that request for salvation has come true for me and for you by the one who is blessed, the one who came in the name of the Lord. And so we bless this one who is from the house of the Lord. It is the Lord our God, and he has given us light. And so bind the procession, bind the altar with cloths and branches and flowers, and let's come up to the altar of Christ's sacrifice for those hosannas from last Sunday. The save us, deliver us, O Lord, just one week ago are now turned to hallelujahs. You have saved us. You know, at Christmas, we often say these words and perhaps they may even feel a bit disconnected. I mean, we're Easter, right? This is a whole different holiday. But at Christmas, we read the words of Isaiah who prophesied about the arrival of Messiah. And I want you to hear how they connect with this psalm and what Christ has done for us. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. David wrote a song about Jesus who is the light. Isaiah foretold a future about Jesus who would be the light of the world. And God has given us Jesus. The very light of his life. A light that no darkness, not the darkness of failure, despair, anxiety, or sin, or even death can overcome. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. For you are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will praise you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Thanks be to God for that little patch of dirt outside the city of Jerusalem where we saw his steadfast love endure death. We have a patch of dirt here at Good Shepherd. We call it a soccer field, but it's just dirt. I've been here long enough to know nothing grows in this patch of dirt. And nothing grows there, even though there was once grass there, because all of the grass was trampled underfoot. And because so many kids play there and dance there and sing there, grass can no longer grow. It's just a little dirt patch. And you know, that garden on Easter morning, if you're like me, I like to imagine it as some lush botanical garden, right? Filled with all the most amazing flowers and the women were there and it was like, oh my gosh, it smells wonderful. But if you've ever been to Israel, there's not a lush botanical garden in the garden where Jesus was buried. It's just a little patch of dirt. Some stuff grows there, but not the wonderfully beautiful flowers and trees like we think or imagine. The garden of Jesus' tomb is basically a dirt patch. An obscure, borrowed dirt patch. But it's one where death no longer grows. Christ He trampled death under his feet. That dirt patch, let it be a reminder to you that Christ trampled death. He walked over death by his own death that death can no longer grow. 
And when he raises us up with him and clothes us in his own righteousness, we join with him and we trample death under our feet as well. We dance upon death and we sing victory songs over it because it will never grow again. It will never consume us. It will never threaten us. We will never have to worry about it ever again. This is the Lord's doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes. The Lord, when he had put on humanity and suffered for the sake of us who suffer and was bound like those of us who are imprisoned and was judged for those of us who should have been judged and was condemned and buried for the sake of those who are buried, rose from the dead, he cried aloud, who will enter into judgment against me? Let him stand up and face me. I have set the condemned free. I have given the dead life. I have raised up those who were buried. Who's going to speak against me? I, he says, the Christ. I have trampled death. I've triumphed over the enemy. I have trampled down hell. I've bound the evil one, and I've carried humanity off with me into the heights of the heavens. I, says he, I, the Christ. All praise and honor and glory be to our resurrected King forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, our Father, creator of all, today is the day of Easter joy. This is the morning on which the Lord appeared to people who had begun to lose hope but who had opened their eyes to what the scriptures foretold, that Jesus must first die, but that he would rise and eventually ascend into your glorious presence. May our risen Lord breathe on our minds and open our eyes that we may know him in the breaking of bread and follow him in his risen and resurrected life. Grant this through Christ our Lord. Amen, for he is risen.